0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Powderheads, a carpenter additive podcast. With each episode of Powderheads, we bring you the minds of industry experts and delve into topics that are defining how additive manufacturing is making an impact on our world. Today, we have another episode recorded at the Formnext 2021 Expo in Frankfurt, Germany this past November. Our guest is Jor Danai, Chief Business Officer at Israeli-based XJet. XJet provides industry leading high definition 3D printing solutions. George sits down on a discussion with Mark Pinder, business development manager at Carpenter Additive. In this chat, George talks a bit about the industry transition from 2D to 3D. He also references why AM is such a differentiator in the entire manufacturing sector. It's an engaging exchange at a time of both growth and business concern. Thanks for listening and enjoy the conversation.
1: Welcome, Draw. It's uh, an absolute pleasure to have you today to um, get your opinions and, and just understand a little bit more about yourself and you know, how you see the AM industry today and, and, and in the future. Um, I must say, personally, you are a, a bit of a celebrity for me in, on the LinkedIn. In fact, the latest one, um, Posting from the Beach, <laughs> I, I believe that had a lot of admiration. Uh, sadly, we're, well, next is probably not so glamorous, but it's plenty of energy. Not so many cocktails right now as we need to keep professional, eh? But uh, Draw, please, um, introduce yourself, a bit of background as to you know, how, how you came into AM.
2: Okay, so first, thank you for having me here today. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be at next. Next. It's, it's a pleasure to see a lot of guys that I haven't seen for two years, precisely. So I'm really glad to be here this morning, and I'm really... Uh, happy to meet so many people to see the improvements, the news, the new technologies, and everything that changed over the past three years. My name, is it says, Drol and, and I joined this industry in early 2000 to a small startup company called Object or Object Geometries, to be precise. Yep. Uh, later became um, Stratasys, as you all know. Um, and I remember coming back home and my spouse asked me, well, what's your smile? And I said, I've been promoted because I was in two dimensions. I was still in the old printing industry and I signed a deal to go into 3D. So I said, look, this is already a promotion. Then she asked about the numbers, but that's a significant. <laughs> and um, today I'm with Eggjet. The legend says uh, since the founder of Object created Eggjet and it took part of the original team, uh, especially in R&B, but also myself and a few others. So the legend in the industry is that Eggjet was named Xjet, like an ex-wife. So it's the ex object team. <laughs> <laughs> this is not true, by the way, but uh, later on will <laughs> tell you the real story. But uh, happy to, to be in, in this uh, growing industry. Yeah. Happy to see new guys like yourself so- and many others.
1: So, draw, obviously, you mentioned earlier, it was an easy uh, sum to make, right? So, 21 years in the industry. That, that's a yeah a huge amount of time. I guess what we want to understand is, because you've, you know, you've been there from quite the beginning, right? From the 2D to the 3D step. What is, from your point of view, what do you feel is like the biggest step change within that last 21 years? You know What is it that really stands out for you?
2: Well, there were many, many steps. So uh, it's hard to choose one single step. Yeah. But if I I want to mention something that is dramatic and it's also noticeable in the way the industry defines itself, is that we used to call it 3D printing. And, and today, more and more people use additive manufacturing. Yeah. And that's uh, quite challenging. Because when you use the word manufacturing, people start to think about predictability, repeatability and other factors that when we were 3D printing or even in the early days, rapid prototyping, yep. it's, it's a much, much more demanding or ambitious challenge because manufacturing, I'm a manufacturing engineer, nobody's perfect, so <laughs> if, uh, moving into- I'm mini- just a salesman <laughs> so I can't throw stones. So mo- moving <laughs> into manufacturing requires different levels. And yeah. I think if you look today, and, and I see exit uh, selling or exit users are selling parts for consumer goods applications, and, and, and this is very exciting. I mean, we're still not doing millions, and I don't think that we will ever will. I, I don't think that's in our, you know, long-term plans as an industry to replace manufacturing. I, I do not think today we are maybe. One tenth of one percent of the manufacturing industry altogether, all of us, and and we will grow. We will be maybe one percent, maybe five percent one day. But we will not replace manufacturing. And, and I think we need to be very modest about it. We know that there are limitations yeah. when, when it comes to mass production. But luckily, the new world. Is, is different. And more and more people are asking for short runs. People are asking for customizations. All the things that we talked about 21, almost 22 years <laughs> when I joined the, the industry are still valid. But now they're becoming reality. So we do see the level of uh, predictability so people can rely on output of our systems and I'm sure others as well as um, repeatability. Yeah, so you can now measure... The, the geometry, you can measure the mechanical properties of a part coming out of a system and compare it to traditional manufacturing. And, and, and I see our customers being surprised. Some of them are in the industry for decades or just even centuries in manufacturing. And, and when they look at the parts and they send them to the labs and they get the results, both on the geometry and on the mechanical properties, they're overwhelmed to see that we reached the level yep. that they envisioned and couldn't get before, and I think this is the biggest step that the industry took in the past few years.
1: No, I, I think that's you know a, a fair, a fair sort of uh, approach to that particular topic. I mean, from from my point of view, I, I feel that, um, and I respect you as a manufacturing engineer. But I think that in what you mentioned about that step change in the last sort of, well, I would say, yeah, in the twenty years to where we are today. I think that there's been so much um, new technologies within what was a very, I guess, you know, 3D printing was compartmentalized. It was a very uh, specific reference point, right, in terms of a, a production process. And I think that the uh, that I guess was the initial platform to innovate and inspire um, other businesses, other you know entrepreneurs, engineers, PhD students to build upon that particular. Um, you know, manufacturing competency, if you will, and then broaden the horizons on, you know, other technologies. So I think that additive manufacturing actually almost epitomizes this is a serious technology now rather than more of a hobby kind of style. I mean, I always felt it was um, at times a bit of a hobby or it was always in, um, you know, prototyping. It's gone from, as a uh, Tuan mentioned earlier on today, he has gone from kind of kindergarten playing around to we're at college now and that transition from college to university if you will from a essentially established you know established route to market is the journey we're on now so um, I think that yeah additive manufacturing will will complement the existing technologies as we know today you know certain technologies suit certain applications and I think that uh, more so if we can kind of focus on, ultimately what the customer requires, what we're trying to achieve, then holistically as an ecosystem, that's how we deliver it. And yeah, it's good to hear that 21 years we're finally starting to reach printed parts that are actually delivering their, you know, that uh, the expectations. You've got to start somewhere, right? So the Wright brothers and, and all the rest of it, and here we are today. So I, I acknowledge that. Um, what what excites you the most in terms of the AM industry? What really gets you, you know, smiling? As you mentioned,
2: I, I think what what was preached from the early days and finally now truly being achieved uh, is referred to as a freedom of design. Now, some of the cases when when people talk about freedom of design, they talk or they used to talk about simple things like making bionic design that will save you pounds for something that needs to fly, and you are happy to save you kilograms and it's good for the environment, great. Uh, and this is really great. But I think that it's, uh, we, we took it now, and actually I'm quoting some of our users now, it allows us to do impassable geometries that really contribute to end users. And and, and I think I mentioned in one of my uh, presentations earlier this year, I I mentioned a a, a user uh, from Wisconsin that created a probe that basically allows complete removal of tumors of breast cancer in a very early stage. Wow. Now, this is the kind of things that we were dreaming about. I mean, it's not just making a saving a few pounds or fractions of a pound that will mean a lot over many many years of flying. it's a lot more than that it allows the imagination of engineers like this this guy from Madison Wisconsin it allows people to create products that will make a better future for humanity so it's not that additive manufacturing just takes as I said before one percent of the existing manufacturing it does open in the future to new applications, and I can add a few more, that were impossible before. So it takes, as you said before, you mentioned university, I'll go for the education. I'll go for things that were slogans 20 years ago, like design for additive manufacturing. It's not just design for additive manufacturing, I think it's think for additive manufacturing, which means-
1: It's a mindset, isn't it? It's a mindset. Yep.
2: It's not that you design something that will weigh loss, which is great. You design something that you couldn't before. Okay. One of the greatest examples is uh, creating a passive antenna or a passive lens. People talk about ceramic lens, for example, for decades. The Lunenberg lens was discussed and mathematics theories were built and people uh, created over uh, software, created a perfect lens that will allow to divert a directional transmission of light or any electromagnetic wave into a spheric transmission. This is something that was impossible until today. Only in the last few months, we mentioned, we managed, actually our customers managed, to bring this dream into reality and print a lens of ceramics that is so complex that was and with so small details, you know, fraction of a millimeter that allow the diffraction diffra- the, the yep. of the yep. electromagnetic wave to allow very fast communication, which will allow to build a new V2V, a vehicle-to-vehicle solution to Connectivity. Yeah. accidents. So we are helping humanity in a way that maybe when I joined the industry, I didn't even think of.
1: And I, and I think, um you know just talking to you is getting me excited as i say four weeks in sort of the additive manufacturing technology you know immersed in it now um you know what that's why you can ex- you can see the the tangible excitement even in the conference today you know that there's more there's something more meaningful than just as you say trying to achieve a more cost effective production process there's actually a story behind it isn't it and it's and i think that's what you know people ask the question oh why are you guys still in AM? Because in the last 20 years, you've currently still been prototyping. I think it's that that access and that vision and that and that true flexibility in what it can unlock. Obviously, like anything, there's always barriers that we need to overcome. Just from your point of view, what do you see as the barriers, you know, today, um, and how are you dealing with that from your side?
2: Well, there. Uh levels to look in barriers. I mean, one yep. clear barrier today is that uh, the post-pandemic uh, situation globally yep. makes it harder to recruit and, and to, you know, to allow the growth that we are looking on. We are finally out. You know, we are back to production. We are back to growth, back to sales, and and, and, and just we need the, the, to enable us. So this is a one big uh, challenge. Um, hopefully a podcast like that and many other (laughs) activities like what you're doing and we're doing back home uh, will improve the situation and I think to attract young people like yourself uh, into this uh, growing industry and I think it's working Um, Do you
1: you collaborate with any universities? I mean from my point of view again it was um, I made a reference in a previous podcast about you know, uh, not so much conditioning, but making you know the, the young adults aware of this technology, and, and really starting it from the, the grassroots. You know, so that these guys are aware of this particular you know technology, and that will enable you know to entice the talent and and grow the industry, with you know essentially a talent pool that will carry us through to that production scale. Uh, are you doing anything on that? Uh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. And uh, as a veteran of the industry, one of the veterans of the industry for a relatively long time, I'm uh, invited and, and it works. I'm invited to give like presentations in front of uh, um, universities uh, back home and in other countries. So we do that and we try to do other activities and cooperations with uh, the academia. We already have a few installations in universities around the world, so that's also supporting this. Uh, Another challenge, if I may, is the supply chain. And uh, on one hand, we are very happy to entertain a growing demand and growing interest in in our technology, but at the same time, the cost of shipment, and, and even regardless of the price, just the availability to commit to a reasonable shipping time becomes a hurdle even to bring the machine here uh we didn't take the risk and we just shipped the machine from rapid which was about two months before from next we shipped it directly from the us yep. to germany just not to take the risk that it doesn't come on time now in the old days two months was a long time here we were like
1: yeah crossing our fingers
2: to make sure that it will arrive on time for the setting. so this is the kind of challenges this is very global I and mean, I, I, I must say that I don't know how to, you know, to do that. We are trying to, you know, to predict better our needs and to do a better internal job, but uh, hopefully it's a global situation, will improve and you know, things will...
1: Yeah. Do, do you think that, I mean, the pandemic and the kind of bounce back from the economy and the logistical demands that's created throughout the whole supply chain, do you think that has influenced the again the the versatility of the AM markets? Because ultimately, I see AM providing much easier inventory management, um, you know, programs, and having you know again the, the thing about AM is it, it, you don't need all the stock, right? And if you had AM technologies local um, and accessible, essentially, you know, you can really reduce the impact on supply chain because. You know, it's within your domestic control, so I do think possibly
2: this is this is, this is extremely true. And, yeah, and, and we see that here on the show floor in almost every other meeting, people mention that. People say we used to outsource it for another far country, but we cannot rely on that. Yeah, other kind of uh, inputs that I got back home uh, just a few weeks ago from one of the largest makers in the world. He says we have production. Items. We saw one machine to, to create a backup for the production. The, the production line is for running for a few decades now. They need jigs and fixtures. They cannot allow themselves to build an inventory of every possible part of the machine. You don't know what will go wrong. Yep. And, and by the way, Exit cannot provide all the different jigs and fixtures. So they went and purchased different solutions for different scale and for different materials, but they better buy the tool to create the fixture rather than buy any fixture in the world. That gives them the flexibility it's to be yep. self-maintained and allows them a levels of flexibility that are really necessary for production lines that are running 24-7 and any possible flow can create a stop and basically slow down the business in times that uh, you know demand is growing. for yep. many products. I, I think
1: the trend is growing, isn't it? Because again, supply chain risk management is, is crucial, right, um, in modern day management. So you know that is only going to enable you know further adoption of AM technologies, and that's a really good a good example of you know you utilizing AM to essentially overcome a, a solution, you know, overcome an, a challenge and ultimately provide a solution to our customers. Uh, I mean, the only other sort of, I wouldn't call it a barrier, but something that is quite relevant in terms of topic is the COP26 conference in terms of the climate. Um, AM, in terms of reusability, what considerations have you made yet in terms of how your carbon footprint, how your reusability strategy, what are you guys doing in the marketplace to sort of, you know, again, it's an ecosystem. The, the, the sooner we actually look at it from a holistic perspective, the easier it's going to be to be a sustainable one.
2: Uh, I, I, I think the work that we do, or well, the work that we did in the creation of our, I think the only powerless solution in the industry is first and at most to reduce waste and to reduce all the negative potential effects. And, and and everybody in this industry is doing a great job in bringing great technology in the hands of the users. Uh, but I think we took it one step forward. By using direct jetting, and not binder jetting, and other great technologies, like uh, selective laser sintering, and all these great technologies of the past used a powder bed. And then they do the fusion by laser, electron beams, Or recently, uh, in the last decade, by adding a bonding agent, we call binder. So, all these solutions were based on a big powder bed, which held a lot of material. Some of it had to be wasted. Not all of it, of course, they are improving all the time. They're doing a great job, by the way. I I visited some of them, some friends work for them. They're doing great progress, and the amount of waste is dwindling yeah but the powder the, the direct jetting approach of exit where we print only when necessary so we start from a scratch we start with an empty tray like this table and we put we jet the suspension that holds the yep. sub powder particles exactly and only where needed so basically you don't have any waste yeah you don't need to have how they're waiting for you and not being used. You use only the amount that you need and it comes in a simple sealed cartridge. So also you take away some risk in management yep. and operation of, of, of the whole thing. The other thing is um, the soluble support that we introduced a couple of years ago and won the TCT award. By the way, that's an interesting story that maybe the listeners didn't notice. Many people didn't notice. They, just before COVID, the very last uh, Innovation Award of TCT for Materials was awarded uh, to our uh, soluble support. Now, it's very unusual because in the history of TCT, always the Material Innovation Award was given to a material that is part of the part, the part that people use. Yeah. We managed to convince in our application, the committee, that we can... Actually, my team resisted when I came with this idea to submit the support structure to the competition People said that's impossible. It's a competition about you know materials and people think about the materials in the part But the real revolution that exit brought to the industry two years ago was the soluble support Because by having soluble support, it's not only that you can make now any geometry and much thinner channels than anybody else It's not that It's, it's 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 the mere fact that you get rid of the entire support and you don't use the metal material yeah. to create support structure. You use something which is organic clean that can go down the drain and, and you get rid of it very easily.
1: Yeah I think that um, I think just goes to demonstrate various technologies and innovation that are working towards eliminating that um, you know that waste product to make it a sustainable technology and of course we, you know There is different technologies to meet different parameters within different applications. So I think we've, again, within an an additive technology, you know, we all have to consider these these um, these challenges. And I think, frankly, you know, even on the powder side now, even on the laser uh, powder bed fusion, that uh, you know, we're bringing solutions that are actually, you know, we're working with end users essentially to optimize and utilise you know, a, a, broad, a broader spectrum of material. So I think that it's good to get your spin on your technology to solve or at least meet the sustainability criteria that we need to. Anyway, uh, Drory, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure and thanks for your time. And we'll, uh, yeah, we'll call that a day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Thanks.
0: Thanks very much to George and I for joining us on Powderheads. His journey in AM, like so many who work in this space, is filled with excitement, passion and focus. If you have questions or comments about what we discussed in this podcast Powderheads, send them to powderheads at carpenteradditive.com or visit our podcast page at www.carpenteradditive.com slash powderheads. We continue to build an archive of all our interviews there, as well as additional material that provides insight and perspective on modern-day additive manufacturing. Powderheads is managed by Carpenter Additive and its parent company, Carpenter Technology, a global leader in specialty alloys for over 130 years. Our goal is to help customers solve their most challenging material and process problems. Learn more at CarpenterTechnology.com. Thanks again for listening. Keep building.